Well, good evening. Welcome to worship tonight. So grateful that you have come and hope you had a good afternoon enjoying the Lord's Day uh, with your family or whoever you were, whoever you were with. And God bless you. This morning, as you know, we studied the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in thinking about that, one of the things that we didn't talk about was in that passage in Ephesians 5, verse 18, the statement to be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, is actually a command. And so one of the things I realized, and I've been thinking about this all week in terms of what are we, how are we going to follow this up on Sunday night, um, it, is, it is a sin not to be filled with the Spirit. And, and as I was praying about that this afternoon, I was thinking all the different directions we could go to follow up what we did this morning. I really want to encourage you, and it may not sound like it, and I don't have a handout, and I don't have a PowerPoint. The ink is, is smearing. This is still not dry on my notes. Um, but the title of this evening's message is, is just simple, and this may be a very brief message, or we may be here a while. I don't know. But five sins against the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see as we look at these how, in fact, we have an opportunity to serve and honor the Lord through His Spirit, and how we can look at, at the ways that we can sin against the Spirit as actually ways that we can serve our Father through the filling of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, it's with a great sense of gratitude that we come to you and open your word tonight and pause after singing your praises to speak to you directly and open our hearts to you, to open our minds to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning and how you have made available to each of us this incredible gift of your spirit who lives in us, those of us that know Christ, and we're thankful for this gift. Father, enable us tonight to see the truth about your Spirit, to see Him more clearly as a person, and to recognize His work in us, and to be more sensitive than ever to His leading and His guidance as you give us life through him. Father, we welcome you here, and we ask that you would cause your word to come alive. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to look at five different passages of Scripture tonight as we talk about these sins against the Spirit. Let me give you the first one. The first sin against the Holy Spirit. He can be lied to. He can be lied to. If you brought your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and I'm going to be doing that also, Acts chapter 5, and some of you, especially you men that come on Thursday mornings during the school year, you'll recognize this section because we studied it when we were together, Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit can be lied to. 
In verse 1 of Acts 5, the Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. Now before I go any further, let me back up to the very end of chapter 4. There's a, there's a statement there that a man named Barnabas, uh, his name was Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there was need in the church. They had taken on people who had formerly received aid through the synagogue, particularly widows who were helpless and had no other means of income. And so they were selling things to help benefit people in need. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Drop dead in church, lying to the Holy Spirit. Well, there's several things that stand out right away. I mean, we could talk about this passage for a long time. I... Verse 3, when he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? If you've ever wondered whether Satan could affect a believer and to what extent, uh, camp out on that passage. Look at what it says, that Satan had filled his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And, um, but one thing that we see in this passage that, that we, we can underscore is that at the very end of verse 4, he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And so there's ever a question in your mind or someone that you're talking to as to whether the Holy Spirit is God. Here is one example that makes very clear that he is God. Now, as God, he has everything that God has. He is God. And we will never fully understand with our minds how God could be three and one and one and yet three. We'll never fully understand that, I believe, on this side of heaven. But the Holy Spirit, He is God. The Holy Spirit, because He is God, is a person. And we have to stress this. He's not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He's not a gas. He's not something that's just out there in the air. He is a person. He is God. And so as a person, all of these things that we're going to look at tonight, these, these four or five things, relate to the fact that he is a person. He is God. Now, Ananias was misrepresenting himself to the people, to the church. What was he doing? Well, he saw that when Barnabas sold that land, that Barnabas was respected for that. He was praised for that. He captured the attention of others in the church because of what he did. I know that Barnabas didn't care about that. That wasn't his objective. But this Ananias, he noticed that. And so he sold a piece of land. Let's say he sold it for $100. And he kept $50, whatever amount he kept. And then he brought the rest of it, and he set it at the apostles' feet. And it was like, see, I just did what Barnabas did. 
And, and so why would a person do something like that? Why would a person represent themselves as being responsive to God, moved by God, and yet not really being moved by God? In fact, God had very little to do with this. Peter argued, as the story unfolds, that the greater sin was not that he lied to men about what he sold. And no one knew about this except Ananias and his wife. And so, so God revealed this to Peter, what Ananias had done. But he argued that the greater sin was to think that you could misrepresent yourself to God. He didn't disobey the Spirit, according to Peter. But what he wanted was that God would think of him as responding to the Holy Spirit. It seems small, but apparently it's very serious that we would treat somehow our relationship with God as being flippant, casual, that I can put one over on him. How many times do we tell God that we're doing something for him when he's got nothing to do with it? That I'm going about my walk and say, well, I'm, I'm trying to live a good Christian life. And, and whatever it is we're, we're saying to ourselves, and we're saying it to God, and it's, it's not the truth. And I think if it speaks to anything, it just speaks to how seriously we ought to take our relationship to the Lord. If I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, this must be, has to be the most important thing in my life. And I can't treat it casually. And I can't just represent myself one way to you and another way to others. And so the Spirit, He can be lied to. Can a person actually think that they can lie to God? Apparently Ananias did. And the only way in my mind that that's possible is if I think God is really small and that somehow I can actually get away with that. The Spirit can be lied to. Secondly, I want you to turn over a couple chapters to chapter 7, verse 51, and the second sin against the Spirit that we can see here tonight. And by the way, before I leave the first one, he can be lied to. He can be lied to. Um, if it's possible for me to lie to the Holy Spirit, what does that say about the potential that I have in my relationship to Him? Think about that. What an opportunity I have to be completely transparent and open with God. Now, now we know with our heads that He knows everything about us already. But what an opportunity I have to be able to come to the Father through the Spirit and absolutely pour my heart out to Him and be completely open with Him. And, and instead of being uncomfortable about confessing my sin, to be able to bring it out, set it before Him, and know that I can be truthful with Him, that I can be fully, completely unknown by Him. And that's not comfortable for us, especially when there's sin in our life. Uh, you know, in the book of Genesis, one of the very first things that happened when Adam and Eve sinned and God showed up, or God manifested Himself to them, what did they do? Well, they went and hid, didn't they? Um, they didn't want to be seen by God. They didn't want to be transparent with God. They didn't want to be transparent with each other. They started putting on a sorry excuse for clothing. But it was an effort to cover up, to hide. And, and so if I can lie to the Holy Spirit, the flip side of that is I can be absolutely truthful with Him. 
And he, he apparently expects that from me and calls me to that. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, the second sin we see is that he can be resisted. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. In this chapter, uh, Stephen is on trial for what he has been preaching and what he has been teaching. And as he goes through this trial, uh, he gets an opportunity to speak. And as he speaks, he starts out and he says, well, you know, in the very beginning, God appeared to our forefather Abraham, and he starts telling the story of Abraham. And you can almost see all the Jewish leaders going, yeah, that's right, great story. This guy's he's doing well so far. And he tells the story of Abraham, and he tells the story of Isaac, and then he mentions Jacob. And then he tells how Jacob's uh, sons sold Joseph into slavery. And suddenly there's a little note that's kind of negative there. And he goes on and he says they were in slavery uh, ultimately all these years, and then Moses comes along, and Moses tries to deliver them. And they said, who made you leader over us when he kills that Egyptian? He escapes, he runs for 40 years, he hides. And then God brings him back, and he describes how they rebelled against Moses again, rebelled against his God-given authority. And, 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 um, and as a consequence of that rebellion and that rejection of Moses and God's leadership through him, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then he talks about the temple. This is where it gets hairy. He says, you know, God, God's idea was the tabernacle. Solomon, but Solomon built the temple. And I mean, when he said that, it was over. Because one of the things he was being accused of was speaking against the temple. And what, what he's detailing is this history of these people in Israel who are rejecting God and rejecting the messages that God is sending through his prophets. And so with that, as a background, we come to verse 51. Stephen says this, and you know, if you're trying to make friends, this is not the thing to say to the group. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Stephen's on trial for preaching the gospel. He goes through and recounts how over and over and over again, the men who led Israel wound up on the wrong side, the wrong side of whatever it is that God was leading them to do. Now, what's the caution there for you and me? I jotted down three things. Be careful with your opinions. Be very careful with your opinions. We live in a country where I have my opinion, I can say what I want to, fine. But be very careful with your opinions because it might put you on the wrong side of a discussion. Be careful with your opinions. Be careful with your preferences. Say, I like this, I don't like that. The third thing I jotted down was focus on what the heart of God is in a matter. Focus on what the heart of God is in a matter. Well, I don't want to be guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit. What is it that he wants to do? What is he saying? How is he leading? How is he, he responding? God is sovereign. We are his people. This is his church. And so I may have an opinion, but I want to be more concerned with God's thought and God's heart, and what is he saying, and how is he leading? And we have that opportunity to do that. And by the way, the very fact that it says that they resisted the Holy Spirit, if anyone ever tries to tell you that the Holy Spirit cannot be resisted, you just got to come back to this verse, because in fact, he can be resisted. Well, there's a third sin, Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Ephesians chapter 4. 
Instead of resisting the Holy Spirit, we have this option, incredible capacity to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But now we come to another one. Ephesians chapter 4, and if you look towards the end of the chapter, we're going to read verse 30, but I'm going to start in verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Here's the third sin. He can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be grieved. Here's Here's what Paul writes. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. So he's talking about something we do with our mouths. And he says, don't let anything come out that's corrupt. Well, what is he talking about? Well, the next phrase is, but what is good for necessary edification? So if what I'm about to say doesn't build someone, if instead it does the opposite, which would have to be tearing down someone, then, I'm, then I've, I've got an issue, according to Paul. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that doesn't build people up. Only let those things come out that build them up. And then he says this, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. This is a contrast. So he's speaking to the people in Ephesus. These are Christians he's talking to. He says, don't let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, let that be put away from you. In contrast to that, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, in Mark chapter 3, one of the things that was occurring was, and it happened at least seven times in the ministry of Jesus that's recorded, that Jesus did things on the Sabbath day that the religious leaders said you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath day. And one of the occasions occurs in Mark chapter 3 where a man with a withered hand encounters Jesus. And the religious leaders are not looking to see if Jesus is going to heal him for the benefit of the man. They're looking to see if he's going to heal him and violate the Sabbath. Because to heal in their mind was a violation of the Sabbath. How bizarre And what the Scripture says at that point in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, um, is he asks whether it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath, and he's, he's met with silence. And it says he looked at the crowd, he looked at those individuals that did not answer his question, whether it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And it says he was grieved at them. Grieved. And the word grieved means to be hurt. He was hurt by their response. And the Holy Spirit, he can be lied to, he can be resisted, and here we see he can be hurt, he can be grieved. And very particularly, he specifies by the things that we do with our mouth in relationship to other brothers and sisters in Christ. I can grieve the Holy Spirit instead of building up, instead of being kind, instead of being tenderhearted, I can cause him pain. Now, can I expect the Holy Spirit of God to fill me and use me if I'm doing damage with my words to brothers and sisters in Christ? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him. We want to see revival in the Delta. We want to see God come to the Delta. And we have this awesome opportunity, rather than grieving the Spirit, to bring pleasure to the Spirit, (laughs) 
to, 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 to bless him by our sensitivity to him. And uh, we could camp out on this, but, but let me just say, leave it at this. He is a sensitive spirit. And you and I need to be sensitive to him. Not just to be, be obedient, but also to be sensitive when he's saying, don't go there, Don. Don't, don't say that, Don. Um, he says... Uh, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. I have to let those things be put away from you. You know, when someone, when someone is bitter, typically it's because something has been done to them. In other words, they could say, well, God, I have every right to be bitter because of what was done to me. And he says, no, don't even go there. He says, let that be put away from you. Come to me and allow me to take that out of your heart. And we talked about what it takes to be filled with the Spirit. Is I can't, I can't seek satisfaction anywhere else except in Christ. And so when I have been wounded, when I've been hurt, what can I do with that? I can bring that to the Lord. I can leave that with Him and say, Lord, I'm going to find all my satisfaction in you, not in some kind of vengeance or retribution aimed at somebody else. He can be grieved. Number four, he can be quenched. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, the very end of that book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 16 through 21, 16 to 21. And this has to do with um, speech. First, uh, First Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 21, and it says this, rejoice always, rejoice always. Well, that certainly involves my lips, doesn't it? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That can involve my lips. They really didn't know anything about silent prayer in the Jewish world for the most part. People prayed aloud. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this is the heart of God. This is his will. And then look what he says in verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Now what's the Spirit going to do? Well, he's going to lead you to do God's will. He's going to lead you to rejoice always. He's going to lead you to pray without ceasing. He's going to lead you to give thanks. And it goes on. He says, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. I fear that, that um, sometimes in our efforts to be true to God's Word and to be suspicious of anything that we've not experienced before in our lives, that we are too quick to make up a definition for something. And then just reject it outright. You know, I, I fear that we have despised sometimes the things that God wants to do in us and through us. Because we've seen him do something in and through somebody else and we said, I don't want anything to do with that. Now, prophecy in the New Testament is not just about telling the future, although it can be. But prophecy means to speak what God brings to mind. And I don't have time to fully develop that in Scripture, but, but for now, just, just take my word for it. The prophecy means to speak what God brings to mind. How many times have you been in a situation where you've been talking with someone, and God is prompting you, His Spirit is prompting you to say something, and rather than releasing yourself to saying what He's bringing to mind and being responsive to that prompting, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. What have you done? To quench the Spirit is literally to put out the Spirit's fire. That's what that, that language is that's used there. Quenching the Spirit, putting out His fire. He's burning in you. 
<laughs> he, he has something he wants you to say, something he wants you to communicate. And you're saying, I'm not going to do that. And you just turn it off. He goes on, and, and uh, the last thing is, is uh, don't despise prophecy. He says, test all things, hold fast what is good. And that's what you have to do with prophecy. Somebody can come to you and say, well, the Lord told me to tell you X, Y, Z. Um, I was at a church years ago, Southern California, man came in. He was from Germany. He said the Lord had told him that I would give him the money for his airfare to fly back to Germany. I said, sir, I'm glad you're here at church. I hope you come next week. <laughs> but the Lord hadn't told me that yet, so you keep praying. You see, we're, we're to test all things. And, uh, and I did pray about that. And no, we did not give him the money for his airfare back to Germany. So anyway, the Holy Spirit can be quenched. Now, grieving the Spirit is letting something come out that shouldn't. Quenching the Spirit is not letting something come out that he wants to come out. That he wants you to say. That he wants you to do. A prompting ignored or conviction rejected. The last thing I want us to look at is the most serious. He can be blasphemed. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Verse 31, Matthew 12, verse 31, and that's the verse where, it's, where reference is made to it, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's also referred to in Mark 3 and Luke 12, but I need to read this in context, and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll take it apart, okay? Matthew chapter 12. And it's referred to in verse 31, but would you back up to uh, verse 22? Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. So the man had a demon, and the way this demon manifested in this man's life is that he couldn't see and he couldn't talk. So when the demon was removed, the man could then see and talk. That tells you that sometimes demonization can cause physical effects. So Jesus expelled the demon, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, they're asking the right question, aren't they? Could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, well, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, or by means of the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now here comes our verse. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. This is the unpardonable sin 
This is the unforgivable sin. It is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Literally, it means to speak a word against Him. But obviously, it has to mean more than that because look at the other sins we've already examined tonight. I mean, look at those. There are, also, there are sins of speech. Uh, you can grieve the Spirit. You can quench the Spirit. You can resist the Spirit. We've already seen all those things. Those were not categorized as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what is blasphemy? It means literally to speak a word against, in context, what was happening. Jesus cast out a demon by means of the Holy Spirit, and they attributed a work of the Holy Spirit to being a work of the devil. Now, some people stop there, and they say because of that, the sin against the Holy Spirit could only occur during the ministry of Jesus, and because He is gone, it is not possible to commit the sin anymore. Well, let's take it a little further. He's showing contempt. These men at this moment are showing contempt for the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? When Jesus cast out a demon by means of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was saying something about Jesus and who He was and what He was doing and what His message was about. The Holy Spirit was testifying or glorifying Jesus, and that's His job. That's His assignment. He will glorify me, Jesus said later. We saw that this morning. And so the Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus by enabling him to cast out a demon, and this testimony of the Holy Spirit is being rejected. Even though it's clear, people are saying, could this be the son of David? I mean, it's obvious what the conclusion should have been, what they should have realized was happening, but they chose not to, and it was intentional. It was in their minds. They knew the truth, but they were rejecting the truth. The bottom line is that a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a final decision to reject Jesus and who He is. And in that sense, there is no other hope. If you reject Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, there is no hope for you. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. There is no one else being sent. And if you reject His testimony concerning Jesus, you can reject the Father and what He said. The Old Testament, through the prophets, you can reject what Jesus said, say things about that. But if you reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can be done. I think I found this, uh, this verse most helpful, and you just jot it down. We don't need to look it up. But 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, listen to what Paul writes. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, by means of the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say he's Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so if a person is rejecting that testimony, they're rejecting their opportunity to be saved. The Holy Spirit, his role is to convince people of what is true and what is false, what is sin and what is righteousness. And I like using the word convince because that's what convict means. He comes into a person's mind and heart, and he convinces them that what they are hearing is true. 
And when a person has that happening and the Holy Spirit is bearing that witness to them, and they in a final way, in a decisive way, say, I want nothing to do with him, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. Now let me say this. If you're a Christian tonight, you cannot commit the sin because you've already trusted Jesus Christ. You've already received him. He's not talking about you having a bad day and saying some things out loud in your prayer time that you wish you hadn't said. He's not talking about that. If you, if you think that's a problem, boy, King David had all kinds of trouble. Oh, God, <laughs> what are you doing? Have you abandoned me? <laughs> you know, all those things that he did. Uh, he's not talking about that. That's not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes to a person and says, Jesus is Lord. And that person says, I want nothing to do with the gospel. I want nothing to do with Jesus. He's not going to be my Lord. And they reject him. Now, as long as that person's alive, if, um, if they care about what they did, if there's a burden in their heart, the Holy Spirit continues to work with them, and they finally respond, well, they, they're going to come to Christ. But there is a point at which a person has had their last opportunity and they have decisively made up their mind that they are through. And let me tell you something else about when a person does that. They never look back. They never wonder or worry about that, that decision. They just go on with life. They're done. They're through. They don't want anything to do with it. Now, can I tell when someone's done that? No. Neither can you. And you shouldn't try to figure out who's, who's, who's done with Jesus. You can't figure that one out. Some of the people you think were absolutely beyond hope may be the ones that he's about to save next. So you and I can't ever make up that decision. So we can't judge, but we can't explain. Here's the gospel. The Holy Spirit, if you ask him, he'll tell you it's true. Jesus died for your sins. And if you'll yield your life to him, surrender to him, he will send his spirit inside you. You'll be born again. He'll forgive all your sins. He'll begin to change you from the inside out. And so, right now, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to him. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? There's several sins here of the Holy Spirit that we've described. Some that a non-Christian can commit. Some that a Christian commits. And have you sinned against the Spirit? One of the reasons you may not be enjoying the kind of life that he has in mind for you is because you have carelessly related to the Holy Spirit. You know, have you ever sinned and become so grieved in your own mind and heart because of what you've done you just you're just broken you just think oh i cannot believe i did that oh god and you just grieved you know that when god saves a person the holy spirit comes in and merges with the human spirit you're one spirit with him that's what the bible teaches can you imagine that when the spirit is grieved by your own sin, that, that you've got to experience that grief also? The grief of the Holy Spirit becomes your grief, and he leads you to repent. He leads you to respond to him. Is that what he's doing in your heart tonight? As you think about, why am I not experiencing more of God? Could it be that, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, and perhaps you've resisted him, perhaps you've said no to him, and tonight you want to say yes? In just a moment, when we stand and sing, you may just need to bow your head. Just close your eyes and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry, I've been headstrong. I've been just doing my own thing. I haven't been listening to you. I haven't let you come and direct me. I've said no to you times without number, but right now, Lord, I'm saying yes. And starting this moment and tonight and tomorrow and the rest of my life, Lord, I just want to have a big yes in my heart to you. Everything you want from me, I don't want to miss a thing. Oh, God, forgive me for resisting you or lying to you or quenching your spirit when you had prompted me in the past. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you speak to us. Thank you that you are loving and you are relentless. Thank you, the Lord, that you have a heart that we can, that we can hear, that we can sense, that we can respond to. Thank you for your overwhelming and undeserved love for us. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you come back again and again and you call us to yourself. Father, I pray for that one tonight who is ready to trust you as their Lord and Savior. Father, would you open their eyes, uh, help them to think clearly, to see the truth about Jesus and what he wants to do in their life. Father, strengthen them, guide them, enable them to respond. And then, Lord, the rest of us as your children, we want to be spirit-filled men and women. So, Father, enable us to be very careful what we do with our lips, what we do with our minds, what we do with our bodies. And tonight, in a fresh way, we surrender to you. Speak to us, guide us in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.